The scripture for today's sermon comes from Mark 6, 1 through 12. The word of God speaks to us like this. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is it not... Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could not do mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went among the villages, teaching." And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed them with oil, many who were sick, and healed them. This is the very word of God to us. Thanks be to God. God. Well, good morning. My name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Just like Jeff just mentioned, we we really do mean it. We're we're thankful that you're here. We're thankful that you're here. And uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I would love the opportunity. It would be a real joy. I can look around and see so many faces that we've just had opportunities to sit down over a coffee or lunch or something. And just uh, conversations. I, I just met several of you just a second ago. I met a Stan and Shelby in the first service. And, and we really do mean it when we say uh, this is a place where we want to be known uh, and, and we want to be people who know one another. We want to walk as family. We want to do what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, where it just talks about uh, that you've become so dear to us that we're happy not to, not just to give you the gospel, but our lives as well. That's hard. I don't, I don't fully understand how all of that works or what that looks like, but I want to know, and I want to walk with people who do this. I don't, I don't want to just go through the motions of church and and do things. So with that being said, let's just kind of pull aside for just a second and, and take care of some, a little bit of family business. And it may, you may or may not know this, but we are one congregation out of five congregations. We're part of Frontline Church that's throughout the Metroplex, and, and we're really very much thankful for that. We're, we're also a church plant. Like, this is just over a year into meeting together on site in Yukon. It's been prayed about and put together for a lot longer than that. But for just over a year, we've been here in Yukon, and we're just still trying to put it all together. And so we're, we're still setting up and tearing down most weeks. There's still a lot of moving parts. We're not in a permanent home. We're in something of a tent here at 10 West, though, though they're great to us, and we love being neighbors with everybody here on, in this section. But it just means that it's not a fully baked, like, gift to the whole city yet. It's not fully developed in every single way. And one of those areas in which we're, we're still trying to figure out and we're still trying to put all the pieces together is student ministry. 
We, we have not been able to do student ministry exactly how we wanted at this point. Our, our students uh, that can are participating downtown and, and with that church downtown. But, but we're to the point where we're ready to start not the full thing of student ministry, but we're ready to start talking with parents and with teenagers and with others who may have an interest in helping. We're ready to start talking about what that could look like and what we are trying to see and where that goes in the months ahead. And so in, in the last couple of months, may, you may have noticed one of our guys standing right here, Zach Shoemaker, has, has come on our team. He leads worship a lot for us. He does a lot more around here. But one of his responsibilities is putting together our student ministry, and we want to help him with that. I'm excited for Zach and Chloe. I'm exi- excited for what this is for our kids and our teen- teens. Uh, I'm excited for what the future holds for all this. As someone with a teenager here, like, it, this matters. This matters to us. It matters to me. It matters to our city. And we just want to really think what this could be. So uh, without really going into all the details right now, uh, on the 29th, we want to have just an informational meeting after our 11 a.m. service. We want to have that right here. We'll do it right here in this room afterwards. We'll get some pizza. We'll get some drinks. And we'll just have our first pizza pig out of the student ministry. You guys can get really excited about all those things. Well, we want to invite our uh, teenagers. If you're a teen, we would love the opportunity just to kind of talk with you around just what we see our opportunities here. We would love for parents to come and, and, and meet Zach and, and, and hear kind of the thoughts around where this would go. And if you are somebody who may have an interest in helping this this forming of a student ministry, I would invite you to be a part of that as well. And so on the 29th, that's what we're doing. I will keep telling you about that. But in, in the, the days and months ahead, we'll start forming this. And, and I really invite you to start praying for this area and that we'd be a blessing to teenagers in it. So 29th, keep that on your, uh, on your calendar. The second thing I would like to throw out is what you are aware of and what we're aware of is that uh, COVID has not left the building, right? COVID is still something that we're all having to pay attention to. It's something that we're all thinking about. So, so the first thing I want you to know is that we are paying attention and we're watching and we're trying to get the best guidance available that we have to us. This is one of the, the reasons I brought up that we're part of five other churches in which we really do partner together. And, and I feel like we're getting good information from experts in the field who can help us think through how to actually walk in this crazy season that we're in. So we're paying attention to this. I want you to pay attention to it as well. And, and, and obviously from a health standpoint, but what we really want to think about is where this is leading us to care for those around us and to walk in unity as one another. In an in a environment, in a season in which it's really easy to divide and everybody has strong opinions. You have strong opinions. I have strong opinions. All of us do. Let's not split up over strong opinions and where areas in which we disagree over something that is as confusing and buck wild as this. Let's be people who are actually standing in the tension and saying, I'm going to love these people around me the best possible way. And so I want you to fight for unity around this. I also want you to be just as practical around this as possible. We're trying in, in every way to say, how do we serve this community? But one way that you can help us is if you're running a temperature, don't come. Okay? Don't come. Like you can watch, you can listen. There's all sorts of ways to be a participant, but think about those around you and your community. If your kid's running a temperature, please like 
stay home, stand down on this one, and, and, and help us out. If you've been exposed, talk to one of us. We, we, we would love to talk to you about that. Uh, talk to us from a distance. If you're here and you think masks are dumb, uh, listen, I, I want you to yield for other people. If you're here and you feel the need to wear a mask, I want you to feel comfortable. I want us all to walk together in caring for each other, all right? This is a place where we're going to try to love one another and serve one another, and we're going to leave as much as possible the politics of all of it out and try to be a place in which we love this city really well. So I hope that you'd walk with me in that. We're in chapter 6 of Mark. We're, we're here in this book where we're ta- taking this long walk look at Jesus and what he's doing. And, and I just invite you to kind of be reading with, with us in this text throughout the week. Just uh, whatever that looks like in your life, I'd like to help you uh, to read this word and open it with us. This section today is shocking. It's shocking in where it lands in the whole narrative of the book. It's shocking in, in kind of what it portrays about this God and, and how he reacts to people. It's shocking to us, and I I hope that we would be people who can sit and not just come to what might be familiar or what might feel like dry words on a page. I hope that we can come to it with fresh eyes and see that this God is doing something that is really startling. And so I'd invite you to pray with me towards that, and I want to pray for you and for our time that we would be people who uh, look to the text and see God moving. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you've done over the last year. Thank you for what you're doing right now in this city. Thank you for new community groups and new opportunities, a new school year, and and everything that is before us. And thank you, God, for your future grace that that you will work in our lives that we don't even know about at this point. For what you're, you're doing even right now that we weren't even prepared for, that we weren't even thinking about. The way that you led people to us this morning who, who knows why they're here, but I'm thankful for it. And God, I believe that you have a word for them. Your grace is amazing. That your love is uh, overwhelming in so many ways. And, and the way that you respond to busted up broken people is, is altogether astounding. And so, Lord, lead us away from religion and straight to your heart. Lead us right to you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Mark 6 is where we're at. I I just want to kind of start with a framework. I want to give you just a starting mindset, just kind of like a grid to see this all through. And it comes through a quote from a a pastor years ago, this uh, pastor out in Philadelphia. He's a Presbyterian guy. But, I mean, this is just really helpful to think through as we read Scripture. Think about this, this quote that comes up from James Montgomery Boyce. Religion is you're seeking after a God in your own image. And I know you might not ever think, like, I'm not seeking after him in my image. We do this more than we think we do. When we're, when we're walking in religion, we do this far more than we actually realize or think that we do. Religion is seeking after a God in your own image, while Christianity is God's seeking you and moving to redeem you by the death of his son. So hear that. It's God seeking you, seeking to redeem your brokenness, and it is all through the death of his son. That's the grid for us. 
When, when we start kind of running down these other lanes, we find ourselves in religion. It's just kind of do better, work harder, clean yourself up stuff. And what we, what we want to see is like real, living, life-changing Christianity, which is God pursuing us. And I think, I think our text leads us right there. And, and so I want us today to kind of uh, do this work together. I want us to do three things. I want us to look at what actually happens in this. I want us to see what's going on in the text here at the beginning of chapter 6. I want us to resist the urge to chicken soup this message. And like, uh, I don't, don't chicken soup it. Don't turn it into just a, like a moral be better thing, right? Uh, and, and I'll help you. When we get to that point, I'm going to name it. I'm going to give you a couple examples. And I'll just be like, this is the danger point for us. So, uh, so like, let's see what's happening in the text. Let's resist the urge to chicken soup this thing. And then the, the third thing that we're going to do is try to, try to lean into the hard work of paying attention, right? To not just getting facts in our heads, but paying attention to what is happening here in the text and potentially what God is doing here in us today. That's where we want to go. That's how we, that's how we want to get there in this. And so just to set this up as to what's happening as you get there, Jesus has been teaching around the Sea of Galilee and in, in these cities around the Sea of Galilee. And, and now where we find him is he's coming back to Nazareth. This is his hometown. This is where he grew up. This is, this is the spot in which for uh, roughly 30 years of his life, Jesus is right here in and around Nazareth in this place. This is where it happened. He would have gone to school with these people. He would have run, run into them at the convenience store. While he's out running errands, he, here's Jesus running into these people. And they would see him. They would know him. These are the people he grew up with. And now he shows up in their synagogue on the, on the Sunday morning, so to speak. And we know it's not, but like, like he's there in the spot to preach. He preaches. And, and what happens when Jesus preaches, we see this again and again through Mark and through the Gospels. Jesus preaches. People are amazed. And then they're also offended. That happens just left and right through all this. We see it uh, across the board. We saw it just uh, in our last chapter, in chapter 5. Like Jesus shows up, he says certain things, and people are like, how can you do this? The, the, the leaders in Jerusalem, the Pharisees, the, the demoniac, and the, the, farm, the, the farm keepers, the herdsmen out there in chapter 5. All of these things happen again and again and again. And so we get to this spot. They were astonished. We're told, we're told that the people in Nazareth were astonished. And then something weird happened. This is where the, the strange things happen right here. Pick it up in verse 3 with me. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are, are not this, are not his sisters here with us? And it says, and they took offense at him. I catch that. What's, what's going on? This is like such an intensely personal criticism. We have Jesus before this. People are upset with Jesus. And, and in chapter 5, we have the herdsmen who are like, Jesus, get out of here. You've, you've changed all sorts of things. But that doesn't wound in the same way as these people who saw you grow up, as these people who were there in your, in your small town with you, as these people have, have pushed you away. And, and catch this. They don't just say, like, who are you? They're like, aren't you 
the son of Mary? Don't we see your brothers in this? Your sisters? And like, aren't you that carpenter kid? Like, the son of Mary is such a particular deep wound of, of like culturally, no one is described as the child of their mother. They're described as the child of their father. And so what's happening is this really personal cut to this bastard child. That's what they're calling him. That's what they're saying to this guy. It's like, you, look at you, you mess. They're making a cut at him. They're making a cut at all of it. And what we get from this is that you get this very clear message that the rumors and all the things that were said about him growing up, all the, the, those pieces that were the whispers around Jesus were followed him his whole life. These people had heard the buzz. These people had heard all the, the stories. They'd heard about what was happening in these other towns. And, and catch this, just for a bit of context, if, if Yukon wasn't filled with homes and businesses, if Yukon was just a body of water, that's essentially the size of the Sea of Galilee. It doesn't take long to cross. So when we read about Jesus crossing back, back and forth, that's the size roughly of what we're happening from from Surrey down right down here to I-40, and we, we, we can nitpick what Yukon is and isn't and all these things. But just say, take that with me for a second and just say this area, that's essentially the size of this sea that's being discussed. They'd heard, they'd heard all the stories, and now Jesus is right before them, and they're like, who's this guy? And this is, this is that kind of moment for us, right? The... Jesus is, experience a deep, is experiencing a deep, deep rejection. And, and many, if not most of us, have experienced rejection in our life. We've experienced ways and places where, where people have pushed us away. We've experienced family or friends who've, who've deeply wounded us. We've, we've experienced rejection in, in job and rejection in, in, in community. We've, reject, we've experienced things that are deeply wounded. And this is that turn I was warning you about. Because this would be the moment where it's super easy for us to just turn this into a nice moral chicken soup thing where we're like, hey, you know what? Jesus was rejected and so you should, you should like, not take it so bad. Even Jesus was there. And we do this with Bible verses again and again. Like just uh, from the beginning of the book, you have these stories. The beginning of this whole Bible, you have these stories about a guy named Moses. And, and you have these stories about different people. You get stories about David, King David, that you read about again and again through different chapters. And maybe you've heard, maybe you're not even familiar with anything in the Bible that you've heard of David and Goliath. And oftentimes we read that and we're like, well, David faced giants and you're going to have big obstacles in your life. Choose good stones. Be brave. Try to just like face those giants in your life. We, we read about Jesus in another place. Like maybe, again, you might not be familiar with all these stories, and that, that's actually okay. But right here in the text, in the Gospels, you read about Jesus feeding thousands of people. He, he feeds 5,000 people. And sometimes we read this, and you hear the story explained, and they say, like, well, Jesus shared his lunch, and so should you. You should share just like Jesus. Be, be a nice person and give that to Jesus. And, and guess what? That, that's like us just moralizing these stories. And what, what we got to see is that this is far more than Jesus just being a nice guy in the face of rejection. This is God who has come, who actually is shocking us with his reaction. 
And so I want you to step into this because what we, we need to recognize and see is that this isn't like, hey, be a nice person. Don't uh, deal with rejection better. This is recognizing that you and I reject the same God in ways big and small. And oftentimes we don't even realize it. So it's obvious. It's obvious if you were to say, I don't even believe in this Jesus. That is a rejection, right? That's saying, I, I, I reject the claims of Jesus. And maybe that's you today. And this text is for you. There are also small ways in which we reject Jesus again and again and again. When, when I am like, like, I know what's best for my life. I know better than God what's best for my life. When I, when I choose to uh, run in this direction when God's leading over here, when I choose to say, I know you've said not to do this, but I'm going to do this. I know you've said, God, that this is off limits, but I don't care. I know you've said this about who I am and my identity, but I choose this identity. I know you've said this about uh, who I am, but I, I choose this. I know you've, you've said this, God, about how we're to order our life and to live. I know you've said this about any number of issues, but I choose to do a different things. We're, we're rejecting and making rejections all along the way. And so this isn't just like be a nicer person and, and deal with rejection. No, this is something that we need to deeply see that you and I reject Jesus in big ways and small all the time. And this text is actually really important for us to see because I, I know I've been in spots in my life where I'm like, maybe I've rejected God one too many. And where is that spot where God's going to turn his back on me? And that might be you this morning. That might be you where you've, you've gotten to the point where you think, yeah, God can't have this. And now I'm just doing my best to clean myself up and hoping. This text is actually for you. This text meets us in so many ways. I want you to see what happens in, in verse 5. This is kind of odd moment that we get before this is it's explaining the, the fallout of this moment before Jesus' reaction. And he says, he could do no mighty work there. He could do no mighty work there. It's interesting because Mark's not explaining an inability on Jesus. It's not like suddenly Jesus' power is all zapped and he, he has a lack of ability in this right now. What we, what we get is actually coming out of what we saw in chapter 5. And in chapter 5, we talked about this woman who ran up to Jesus just to touch his, his, his robe. And the robe wasn't the powerful thing, was it? The robe wasn't it. And Jesus turns to her. And this is what we talked about last week. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to those previous sermons. Go back and listen to the text and, and what we've talked through as we read through this. The power isn't the robe. Jesus looks at this woman and he says to her, he says, your faith, your faith led to this. And what, what is that? It's not like she didn't muster up faith. It's this grace that was given in her life that she would have faith. It's always grace through faith. It's always and forever grace working its way out through faith. 
Faith doesn't mean you have all the answers. It doesn't mean that you know all of this. And so it, it, it isn't just that Jesus is somehow, his hands are tied behind his back. He, has, he, has no, he no longer has ability to do things. It's just that he's describing Nazareth as this place that is lacking in faith, that, the, that there is full of unbelief in this. But it goes on, it says, he could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he healed them. And he marveled, Jesus is now marveling, because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. You catch, catch that what's actually happening. Because we've just walked through chapter after chapter after chapter of people marveling at Jesus and what he has done. And now we're told Jesus is marveling at the people. And not because they're amazing, but because of their unbelief. It's like shocking how much they're fighting just to not believe what's happening, what's right before their eyes. This draws a straight line to us. This, this, this is exactly what happens in our life. I can't tell you how many times I've cried out to God. I've cried out either audibly or, or just in my heart and in my mind where it's a groan, right? And there aren't really words for it. It's just this groan of like, Jesus, if you were right here in the flesh, I would believe you. Jesus, if you were here walking with me, I would know what to do. If you were right here next to me, then I could trust you. How many times have I prayed that? How many times have you prayed that? What we see right here is that Jesus is physically right next to these people. And they don't believe. Contrary to the evidence, contrary to what he's literally doing in their midst. And they're still not believing. It's always grace. It is always grace working its way out through faith in your life. Jesus has given you everything that you need, even right now, even today in your life to believe and to trust in him and to, to see his goodness. It is always, always his grace that works out through faith. And notice, notice this altogether unexpected place that he takes it. And this is the third turn for us. So we've, we've seen kind of what's happened up until this point. We've had this kind of chicken soup moment that we're trying to navigate our way through. And now see this unexpected place where it goes and where he takes it. And we're going to see that right here in verse 7 through 11. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. He called them, and he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Verse 11, and if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. That's a real cultural reference right there. That's a real cultural reference that sometimes is lost on us. But I, what I want us to catch is actually this big, startling, shocking things that happens. They leave Nazareth. They're rejected in Nazareth. Jesus is rejected in Nazareth. They leave. And instead of pulling back and instead of just saying, no, I'm not having it. No, these people rejected me. I'm done with them. He doesn't shake the dust off his feet to them. In fact, he does the opposite. He sends out his followers to 
to show and to spread and to just give the message of the kingdom of God to every place that they come across. Instead of rejecting them, Jesus sends out even more pictures, more uh, opportunities, more evidences of grace, more people to go and love people around them in this city. Friends, catch this. When we feel like uh, Jesus is going to turn his back on me, I've turned my back on him. I've said horrible things about God. I, I have again and again run. What we see in the text from Jesus is that instead of running, he runs to them. Instead of running away, he actually sends more people to them. Instead of turning his back and shutting off grace to them, he actually sends out all these people to go with the, the same message and to do these things in their life. And as we think about who he sends, it's even more grace upon grace. None of these people felt ready not one of these people felt confident. And maybe let's just give them credit for a second. Let's say Jesus says, I'm going to send you two by two into this area. And they were like, okay, okay, deep breath. I can do this. Deep breath. God told me I can do this. Okay, deep breath. And then Jesus says, don't take any money. Don't take any extra change of clothes. Don't take any of this. And instead, take one tunic, not two. And we're like, one tunic, not two. Like those people were like, I'm out. Out. I only travel with two tunics at all times. Jesus says, go with sandals. And you're thinking like, I gotta have my Nikes. I gotta have my hokas for these feet. They hurt. All these things. Whatever you think they need. Like Jesus is like, you go bare minimum and see how God provides for you. And they're thinking, I don't know all the answers. I don't know any of these things. I don't have, I don't even know. These guys are deeply confused, messed up people. And God in his grace uses them. And maybe, again, we're giving the real benefit of the doubt to these people. Maybe, maybe they are like, okay, I'm still in. I, I can deal with one tunic and I can deal with all this stuff. I don't have all my answers, but I can get there. And then Jesus says, I'm going to give you authority to cast out demons. And I'm going to give you authority to heal the sick. And you're going to go. And guess what? People are going to reject you just like we saw in Nazareth. And now, like, where's your courage? These are the people trembling, inadequate, not prepared, certainly not confident, and with, let's be kind, no discernible gifts to add to this. These are the people Jesus sends. And I have to believe that there are people in here that God's tugging on your heart. He's tugging on you and, and, and saying, hey, maybe you should step in. Maybe you should step in and serve. Maybe you should step in and help here. Maybe you should be a part of this. And maybe you should do it. And you're sitting there like, I'm not good enough. And I'm not smart enough. And I don't have any of these things. And, I, and like, Chad, if you knew me, I'm a mess. And I, I just want you to see these people that God is using. It's all grace through faith, in which God uses busted up, messy folks, and he brings his glory. And instead of somehow rejection shutting off grace, it actually magnifies it. In so many ways, it is God at work. Jesus says, go and 
for what, like, I don't even know. This is, this is startling to me. They go. They do it. They do it. They actually follow. They actually have all of it. I don't think that they are, are necessarily courageous uh, or, or, or brave. Maybe they had a little bit of those things. But they do. They go and then pick it up in verse 12 where it says, So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Pause right here. They weren't just out saying like, hey, Jesus is a nice guy. Come and hear about him. They're not just saying, hey, Jesus is doing cool stuff. Come and look at this stuff. They're like, no, the king has come. And where our lives don't match up, we say, God, I repent. They're actually calling people to repent. Verse 13, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is the crew. This is the crew that goes and does this. Not by their strength, not by their abilities. They, they had so many things that they didn't understand. They had so many areas in which they were struggling to trust. They had so many areas in which they're like, uh, Jesus, what are you doing? I'm not sure if that's the right way to go. They had so many areas of inadequacy, and yet God in his power and his might and his glory and his grace uses these people. This is who he uses. That's the status of the group that Jesus sends out, and that has everything to do with us. That has everything in the world to do with us. Jesus, continuing his work, continuing to show his grace and his love to people all around the area in Westport, in Surrey, in Mustang, in Piedmont, in different areas, just simply using busted up, broken people who are saying, God, I don't have all the answers, but I know you do. And I want to trust you. So let's wrap this up in maybe the most basic way, the most basic, asking the, the kind of fundamental Bible study questions uh, that we should always be asking when we're going to it. So uh, as, we, as we approach any text at any time, what we kind of want to be asking when we're reading it is, what does this text tell me about God? Let's start there. What does this text tell me about God? And the second question that we'll ask is, what does this text tell us about me and you? When we read this, what is it telling us about right here? Well, one of the things that we see about God is that God, though rejected, does not turn his back and reject you. He gives opportunity after opportunity, and he will until he calls you home, and then there are no more opportunities. Until our, our last breath, there are opportunities where to repent, to turn to God. Uh, this Jesus who has known rejection from his hometown, who ultimately knows rejection, sending him to the cross. This Jesus who knows rejection from you in big ways and small ways and from me. And maybe knows rejection of you simply, uh, boldly saying, like, I, I'm not even sure I believe this. This Jesus has not turned his back on you. Maybe you've turned your back on him, but he is right there pursuing you, and we see it again and again and again. And maybe today what you need to recognize is that you have not run too far from God. Because every step in which you've been running away, he is running after you. He's running after you. The second thing we've got to say is like, what, what is this? 
in, in me. And maybe you're here and you're, you're, you're like, I do believe, but I'm not sure what I have to offer. <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm, not, I'm not sure really if I have any discernible gifts. I'm not sure what that would look like. I'm not even sure what it is. I don't, I don't sing or I don't know how to do this or that. And, and what you need to hear is that God's not interested in your ability or what you think your limitations are. God is able to do far more than anything you can imagine. God brings beauty from brokenness. God brings life from death. This God brings gifts from those who feel like they have nothing to offer. And maybe you feel like things have been taken away from you or you just, I just can't possibly do that. And what I would say to you is that this Lord, this redeeming God actually surprises us again and again in how he is at work in people who are simply willing to say, God, use me. We see this left and right. This Jesus is still pursuing people. He's still moving towards people. And, and maybe he's moving towards you today. And this Jesus is still sending, and he's still sending people out. He's still sending out his followers, his disciples, into this area and into to other areas. He's sending out people to be lighthouses in other spots. He's sending out people to, to love and serve those around them. He's still doing it, and maybe he's sending you today. Maybe he's sending you to your neighbors or to your family or to your friends or to the teenagers around this place. Maybe he's sending you in ways in which you did not even think was possible. So where do we get the courage to kind of say, yes, Jesus, I will step to this. It's the same place where we find our hope, right? It's the same thing. We, we actually see God doing the impossible again and again and again, and we look to the cross. We look to his work on the cross, which tells us that there's no limit to his love. There's no limit to his pursuing after you. This Jesus who goes to the cross, this Jesus who sent these disciples, this Jesus who sent this holy unprepared, holy with a W-H, holy unprepared set of people out to uh, the, these uh, other towns and villages. This one goes to the cross and then hands it over, the ministry, to the disciples and then to you and I today. He hands it over and he says, I put the spirit of God inside you to take this to the nations. This Jesus who died and conquered death is still at work in you. Would you bow your heads with me?